Hello, Christ Covenant and Culpepper. This is Dave Baggett. This is my third and final sermon for you in Colossians, the fifth in the series. We are in Colossians 2. We'll be starting in verse 15 and reading through 317. So while you're turning there, let me just remind you of the flow of thought in Colossians. Paul is grateful that they've become Christians. He's praying for them, uh, that they would grow in their knowledge of God and spiritual understanding, that they would apply God's word to their life and grow in wisdom, um, that they would mature in Christ, that he's suffering for that end, um, and that he wants them to be uh, assured. He doesn't want them to be tossed around by waves of doctrine, and he doesn't want them to be deluded. Uh, and so last week, I actually heard the sermon. I figured out that you are very quick to put them on the internet. Thank you for that. I heard uh, Joe Slater talking about uh, holding on to the renewing work of Jesus. And so this week we're going to build upon that. Um, and, and this is where Paul really gets into the meat and potatoes of what to do, what not to do. And he's much more specific about this false teaching that is threatening the purity of the, of the Colossian uh, church. Uh, so let's read the text. If you found Colossians 2, we'll start in verse 15 and read until 17 of chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And may God add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of his written word. And God's people said, Amen. When I was studying this passage, I was reminded of a time, very bizarre situation, where a man in our church wanted to meet with me and said that he was leaving the church, that he had joined a, a secret Bible study. And he was talking about uh, people who eat the flesh of pigs and other curses. And he kept looking over his shoulder. We were meeting in a, in a you know, like a fast food restaurant. And he kept looking at the door with a lot of paranoia. And I said, what are you, what are you looking at? Are you, are you waiting for somebody? And he was, he was quiet. And he said, listen, this is dangerous. These guys are serious. I could get in big trouble for talking to you. And I thought, my goodness, I can't even understand what, what he's talking about, what the theology, what this the eating the flesh of pigs has to do with anything. What slick manipulation has this guy fallen prey to? I even thought, what is mental illness a part of this situation? I mean, is this guy in any real danger? Is it just perceived? Um, anyway, he, he, he got uncomfortable and he left. I didn't really fully understand what he was trying to tell me about these theologies. But I went home and I read Isaiah 66, where he was quoting. And how ironic. Uh, this is a passage where God is rebuking his people for their religious rituals and instead of embracing the covenant from the heart, you know, God wants our, 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 our will and our soul in the middle of who we are. And he doesn't want us taking the pictures of the reality and making a big fuss about them. You know, and they were misrepresenting scripture to form a cult. Um, and, you know, they all have the, the answers. They all have the secret knowledge. And this goes way back to Gnosticism. Um, and this is what Paul is, is kind of talking about. And you might be thinking, hey, uh, I'm nowhere close to being misled by some cult leader. Okay, well, we're going to discuss the more subtle ways that you can be deluded. You know, he does say that these are called plausible arguments. They're based on traditions and philosophy and even deceit. I mean, when are you deceived? When you know it or when you don't? Paul wants you resting on the truth of the gospel. He wants your mind focused on Christ and not distracted by these odd passages of Scripture or, you know, visions that people have had. I mean, have you ever been sold a bill of goods? I have. I mean, straight out of the movies. This salesman, I mean, they, they can take you to task if they know what they're doing. I was a young man on my honeymoon, uh, having a great time. And I bought into this timeshare. I can't even say it out loud without just, just you know, wincing. Because I can look back and I can see all his techniques. How he interrupted, how he, he learned things about us and used them against us. You know, got this phone call. Uh, oh, no, no, I, I, you got to hold on to this unit. I'm talking to him right now. 
Um, it, it's just, it, it's embarrassing to me, okay? And I learned a lot as a young man that I will not be branded again. I will not be controlled and I will try to, to, to be mature enough to see manipulation for what it is. And that's, insert, that's certainly important when you're talking about theology, right, in your beliefs in God. Uh, and when it comes to the gospel and Jesus Christ, we want it to be crystal clear. But on one side of the coin, the, the great doctrines of our faith are simple and are clear. Jesus has died for sinners. He is the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He appeases the wrath of God. We are declared righteous. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. You know, all these great doctrines, we want them to be very, very clear. But on the other side of that coin is what we talked about uh, two weeks ago. That in Jesus, you can plunge into the depths of wisdom of any and every discipline there's something to be learned about Jesus because there is no, there's no divine wisdom outside of God. God's not living up to this wisdom. It comes from him. He has it all. It is part of who he is. And we know this guy, Jesus. We're, we're uh, in a relationship with the God who knows everything. And there's a mystery, the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Um, and that mystery has been been developed through the Old Testament and we have greater clarity but you know just there's the rub right how mystical is our walk with God um, there's bad theology everywhere even here even in me and in you um, so we have to search the scriptures with humility and diligence as we focus in on Christ the 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 centerpiece that all theological roads, again, lead to Jesus. And we have to learn gratitude. And so we can, we can look at this passage in a couple different ways. Um, we can look at it in terms of our identity, according to our title. How do we identify? Uh, and we can look at uh, how, we, how we identify with people and in certain circumstances. How the Word of God is our chief identifying principle, our daily um, gospel, if you will. And then how the thrust of our life is to be um, according to this identification with Jesus. And we'll talk about that as we go. But another way of looking at this, Paul is, he's kind of going back and forth between right thinking and wrong thinking and right behavior and wrong behavior. And so I, I, I'm going to opt to walk through the passage verse by verse, top to bottom. And I want you to see these ideas of identity, the themes there, and, and Paul's um, think this, not that, do this, not that. Um, and we'll, we'll begin to see what's going on in Colossae. So let's start in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 15, and let's walk through the text. Um, and this is really part of the last section, uh, but it's all it's saying is that Jesus is in charge. Um, there's, there's no, the devil's not running this earth. Um, he's been subject subjugated to Jesus, that, that above every name there is Christ, and that he has all the authority in heaven and earth. So he says, go and make disciples. Um, you know, in, in Luke 11, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Um, and there are lots of other passages I could show you. Jesus is in charge, okay? He's ruling and reigning. And so verse 16, don't be ruled or controlled by people. 
don't be judged by them. And in 17, specifically referring to, uh, to religious ideas, the ceremonial law is fulfilled in Jesus. And that tells us that probably what's going on there are some Jewish Christians or Jewish mystics influencing the Gentile Christians in Colossae. Um, in verse 18, he's saying, don't be disqualified by them, by these ideas of, of uh, worshiping angels and, and traditions and even just strange uh, talks about their visions. Now, listen, I've heard people tell me about their dreams and visions. And, and I've, I've had powerful dreams. I've even shared one in the pulpit. But I, I qualified to say, hey, I, don't, I would never say this is from God. I would never want to put words in God's mouth. You need to be very careful about that. We have a closed canon, right? So I'm always skeptical when I hear anything about people's dreams and visions. Because our thoughts are to be directed by the Word of God. There's not new information being shared with us. I don't believe that. We could add it to the Scripture. Um, we have, in these last days, Jesus Christ and His authorized representatives. You know, in, in the past, the prophet was the Word of God incarnate. They were bringing the Word of God through visions. But now we have it bound up in the Bible. Um, and this idea of worshiping angels... Uh, probably verifies that they were they were Jewish mystics that were muddying the waters for them at Colossae. Um, so don't be don't be disqualified by listening to these things and being and, and being taken captive by them. And he's going to mention some of what he's talking about. Uh, and the first one there is the word asceticism. The NIV translates that as false humility. It's mentioned again in verse twenty three. Um, and he says, uh, you know, self-made religion, asceticism, and severity to the body. Um, you know, I've been watching these, uh, these stories about the, the, the Vikings and, you know, the, the Saxon kingdoms. And I can't remember what series it is. But in one of these series, there's a man who's a priest. And he uh, fornicates and he punishes himself by, you know, running naked through through briars and uh, you know the people used to scourge themselves and scar their bodies uh, and this was popular in the middle ages and uh, you know there's some form of punishment for doing wrong and that's what we see today in, in penance and it's not just our catholic brethren that, that do this you do too although less dramatic i mean i, I hope you're not whipping yourself but have you ever punished yourself with the false humility of guilt? You know, you, you won't run to God and confess your sin until you feel like you've done better? Until um, you've, you've punished yourself enough in your own mind? You know, the enemy tries to disqualify you. You've blown it. You're not good enough. You're pathetic. He's the accuser of the brethren. And, and yes, we are pathetic, but that's not the gospel. We're beloved of God despite all those sins, despite all that brokenness. Look at the cross. And God is not surprised. He's not suddenly aghast at, at what you've done. He's known about it. You know, on the, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, knowing that his very beloved disciples would betray him. They would run away and leave him to die alone. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. On the night he was betrayed, God knows about your sins. He has made a way. And that is the cross. 
Um, look here, and he says that they, you can be puffed up without reason. So asceticism, you might, you might punish yourself, you might feel guilty, you might feel down, self-loathing. And this is the other side, right? Where you, uh, NIV calls it you know, idle notions. You're, you're inflated um, over, over yourself for no good reason. Uh, is that true for you? You ever feel puffed up and, and, and special um, despite uh, who you are apart from, from Christ? And, and he says here, uh, sensuous mind, I think he's, he's saying it's an earthly, uh, you know, touchy-feely thought life. Um, so in summary, don't be judged by others. Don't be controlled by them. Don't be disqualified. In other words, let no one bind your conscience. Okay, that's PCA language there. Uh, rather, verse 19, hold fast to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to him for wisdom. Let him mature you. Let him grow you. Let him empower you through the gospel. Let him provide you with spiritual understanding. Take your focus and put it on him and off of yourself. You don't want a relationship with your sin. You want a relationship with your Savior. He began the good work and he will finish it. He's the head of the church. He is our identity. We must remember we belong to God Almighty even when we're interacting with other people and in different circumstances. And then he says, this, this old way is from the elemental spirits. And that was mentioned last week as well in the text that, that you read. This is a, a unique phrase in Colossians, and people debate about what it means. Um, I, I think it, it's referring to, to spirits, um, but more than that, just the, the, the basic building blocks of our sinful disposition. Um, have any of you ever seen the, the old movie Excalibur? It's just one of those movies about Arthur and the round table and knights and uh, Excalibur. Uh, well, this one has Merlin, you know, the, the magician, the wizard. And, uh, and in this movie, he's training another necromancer. And he's discouraged because this is a, a Arthurian legend is right around the time that, that Christianity is sweeping through the British Isles. Um, and he says, we are of a dying breed. And th- this line, I'll try to, to try to get it right because it's been so many years since I've seen the movie, but it's stuck with me forever. He says, now is the time for the one true God to drive out the gods of earth, wood, and stone. And that's what I think elemental spirits are. This idea of of idolatry and controlling your environment. I'm sure it involves demons. um, But it's just think of it as as uh, anti-gospel, anti-Christ. Again, the basic building blocks of our sinful disposition. We've died to those, he says. I remember one pastor saying that a, that a demon speaking in the human soul is like you opening the top to a grand piano and speaking down into the strings. And they all resonate. You know, there's a rumbling. And, uh, and maybe that's only true if you're in, your, in the second estate of man and your sinful condition. And with the spirit, we hope that that's uh, not the case. But we have three enemies, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And Paul says, 
you are not to live by these these elemental spirits. Um, and and how are they manifested? Look at verse twenty one. With regulations, with rules, with control, um, controlling people and controlling appearances, human commands, legalism, religion, human teachings. That this appears like wisdom. You know, it can be manipulative. It can be authoritative. But it's a form of indulgence. Why do people love rules? Think about that. Why is God constantly saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? You know, the only Christians I knew when I was in high school, I was not a Christian at the time, were Catholics. And I remember them going out Friday night and drinking and hooking up with people. And then uh, Saturday night, the same. But Sunday, they'd fix it. And I remember as a non-Christian thinking, Christianity is stupid. I mean, these people, they go out and do whatever they want. And then they they go and they they talk to a priest and suddenly they're fine. This is ridiculous. And that's what, that's what, just like Isaiah 66, right? Um, God wants our heart to embrace the covenant. He wants a relationship and he wants intimacy and he wants a real uh, significant bind on our soul. He wants to be our God and, and us to be his people. We are his inheritance and he is ours. He's our very great reward. But instead, we want to check things off. We want to feel good about ourselves. In fact, we accomplished something. But here Paul says that they have, there's, a, there's a, a way that you can tell that, that doesn't stop the indulgence of the flesh at the end of chapter 2. You know, on, I saw on, on Netflix... Uh, uh, Waco and that's the story of David Koresh and the Branch Davidians I haven't seen the Netflix uh, show but I do remember the incident Uh, my friend's father was the FBI agent who was trying to negotiate with him in that tragic event Um, but I want to point out was that that this guy not only was it a cult and it wasn't just a few people it was a lot of people but somehow he convinced the men to stop sleeping with their wives and to let him sleep with them. Um, I think that's accurate. I think my memory served me right. My, my, I'm getting older now. My memory's kind of shoddy. Um, but talk about being sold a bill of goods. Can you imagine? I mean, what, what must have happened? What, what preceded the point where you said, hey, I want you to deny yourself your wife and I'll take her. And a bunch of people, a bunch of people, said, okay, that's a good idea. Um, you see, there's always, there's always an indication. And it's that they can't deny the indulgence of the flesh. Because that, that takes gospel power. That takes hope of glory. That takes the mystery of Christ in us. There's no other way to really change your heart and to subdue your sin. Um, and and, and it, it's just, it feels better it, feel, it seems easier, it's, it's more natural in our, in our sinful condition to do what we want to do and then patch it up with some kind of ritual or just follow the rules, keep the rules real strict and simple. Um, but inevitably, you'll indulge your pride even if you keep all of those things correctly. As I've said 
many times over, if you can do everything in your rule book correctly, you will be an insufferable person. You will be so arrogant. Okay, so Paul's saying, I don't want you to think this way. You've died to the world and the, the elemental spirits and the old person, and you've been raised with Christ. And he's going to transition here in chapter 3. Um, the first couple of verses he's saying, you've been raised with him, so, so seek him. Seek the things that are above where he is. Uh, set your mind. Change your thinking. Okay? Uh, not on things of this earth. Not on yourself as indulgent, but, but on things that, that are bigger than you. Bigger than, than your life. Uh, that, that will lead you into eternity. Uh, to the magnitude of God. And then three, he says that, that your life is Christ. He is your life. Stop trying to validate yourself with your rules and your experiences and, or anything else about you. He says your life is hidden in Christ. And Christ, when he appears, your life will appear and he will give you his glory. So Paul's saying adjust your thinking about people, about the situations in life, about your religion, your spirituality. Focus in on Jesus. And if you're thinking rightly about the gospel, then you will, you're, it will affect your behavior. And that's where he shifts now in verse 5. And he starts with the, the negatives, what you need to put off. And Paul does this, right? He, he talks about putting off a garment and putting on the robe of Christ and shutting the, the old man and living by the new man. And he, here you see the, the, the same language, put to death, you know, mortify this list of sins. And you look in 5, you read that list. What do you notice about those sins? What do they have in common? You know, that, that uh, impurity, passion, they all have sexual overtones, right? Evil desire is the uh, evil lust, you know, over-desire, um, and covetousness. You know, in, the, in the, the 10th commandment, it says, do not covet thy neighbor's wife, and, and any of his stuff, right? But there's a, there's a piece of that that is sexual also. Um, the word there in the Greek is uh, graspingness. Now, we don't have an English word graspingness. We say covetousness, but it, I think it, it, it's more powerful and it, that you're trying to grasp something. These sins are indulgent in nature. You feel needy and you want life. You're grasping for vitality. Uh, you're, you're addressing your neediness, your emptiness with your selfish pleasures. And he says that's idolatry. When you put... Uh, your appetites before God. Christ is your life. In verse 6, these idolatrous departures are the reason for God's wrath. It's the brokenness all around us. In verse 7, consider that is the past. You've died to those things, put them away. In verse 8, he gives a second list. Now, notice those anger, wrath, malice, slander. What, what characterizes this list of sins? Isn't it that, that there are things that you want that you can't have? And so you get angry, you get upset. Someone, uh, you can't control them, so you're, you're bitter and you slander. You see, the first list was like the, the, the sexual and indulgent appetites. And this is where it, you're either uh, failing to have those things or they're failing to provide you any real satisfaction. 
And then verse 9, the result of these things is lying. You know, if you're running around, uh, sneaking around, or if you're, you're caught in, in sins, you, you start lying about it. Um, and so these negative behaviors, Paul says, rather, um, in verse 10, you need to have your identity in Christ. You need to be renewed, and God is doing that work, is renewing you in the image of Jesus, that you are an image bearer. You're to reflect God's character. And so these, you know, quote, proper behaviors, the, what we're to put on, we'll see in verse 12, um, they're, they're the nature of Jesus. And in verse 11, he says that your identity in Christ must supersede your nationality, your race, uh, your religious background, your family, your gender, your socioeconomics, etc. That you are becoming a new humanity in Jesus. You know, we're in a very interesting time. I've not mentioned anything about this yet, but, but I've done a lot of work with racial reconciliation, spent lots of time with African Americans. I've listened and learned a lot. And here we are with the situation with George Floyd and all the protesting and it's very emotionally charged. And I, I don't want to get sidetracked talking about that because I, I literally could talk for hours about it. Um, it's just too big a topic. But I, I do want to point out something about how everything is becoming political in our country. Um, from, from the pandemic to this uh, to police brutality. And, and it's not because they're not political. But what I want to point out is that if, if, you're, if you're a liberal, typically there's an there's an idol that government will rescue. And you're, you're grasping for help against the injustices in this world, real or perceived. And, and you know, it, at that level, I can't agree with that. Government is to protect us from sin. It's to protect us from injustice and greed. But if you're a conservative, you might have the idol of, of personal freedom. You know, and you're grasping for uh, your rights, and government uh, might be putting those at risk. Um, and again, there's a, the, uh, I say that I, I agree, I want, I want personal responsibility, I want freedoms. Um, and how those things work out in policy, you know, I, I'm probably not smart enough to, to figure those things out. But when you have, when you have a syncretic church, a syncretic, same creed, when you have your Christianity wedded to your politics or any issue in life wedded to politics and you feel your idol is being threatened, what is the result? We have an angry nation. We have angry people. And I, I, I feel free from, from that anger. I feel like I can talk about politics. Um, and unless it's addressing... Uh, oppressive forces in my life, I can, I can just talk about them as concepts because I really have my hope in Jesus and his government. And I know this is broken. I know our world is broken. Um, and I want other Christians to, to be free enough from those idols to see the truth in the air on both sides. Um, again, I, I don't want to get into politics, but, but any of this, anytime you have anger, it's an opportunity for you to evaluate your underlying beliefs. You know, anytime you're seeing negative behavior and negative emotions, 
you have an opportunity to look at your assumptions, your presuppositions, your wants. Or let me put it a different way. You have an opportunity to see what you are believing in or your unbelief. In all these ways, you need to appropriate the grace of the gospel. Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. And so he says, if, if you are... Uh, if you realize that you're raised with Christ, you need to put on these behaviors. Why put them on? Verse 12, because you're chosen. Because you're holy. Because you're beloved. Because of the gospel. And as you, you read this list to yourself, look what it says. Compassion and kindness and humility. Think of God's character. This is who he is and how he has demonstrated these attributes to you. Ponder that in your life. How he's been patient to you and bearing and forgiving. You, a broken, confused sinner, that, that he forgives. And so he calls us in 13 to forgive others, to bear with them, for we're all a work in progress. 14, he says, bind all this up with love, which is giving. It's not controlling. It's not taking. It's not manipulating. It's not trying to, uh, uh, to check off your religious list. Love is something that comes from, from the heart of those who have been forgiven much. Then they will love much. And right thinking will lead to right doing. And errant thinking will lead to errant doing, which is why Paul's been warning them. Yeah, that's why he's telling them, this is the nature of Jesus and this is not. Think rightly, do rightly. Don't think wrongly and and participate in the old ways. Now imagine, if you will, Jesus and his disciples. They're walking around, uh, often sleeping on the ground. He's praying with them and for them. They see him teaching. They see him performing miracles. The crowds are pressing around him. Um, And they begin to wonder, what's my role here? It's really all about Jesus, isn't it? So they say in John 6, hey, what must we be doing to do the works of God. And Jesus says, the work of God is to believe in me. You know, he says in the one whom he has sent. Uh, that's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's work, um, to believe. Because under, underlying, in the basic fundamental blocks of your sinful disposition, there is a, there's a tendency to deceive yourself, a tendency to try to follow rules, a tendency to try to do penance, a tendency to, to, um, to get puffed up and think too highly of yourself. And the gospel comes in and says, you know what, no matter, no matter if you're a liberal or a conservative, no matter what you think about any of these topics um, and, and all the discussions that you can have, you've got to keep the main thing the main thing. You've got to believe in Jesus. And you say, I want the renewal in his image. How do I do it? And it leaves us with verses 15, 16, and 17, where he combines thinking and doing. Verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You know, trust and rest in God's sovereignty. Let God reign over you. You can't control the universe. He loves you. Um, and then that, let that peace rule in the body, the church. And then he says what? Be thankful. Verse 16, let the word dwell in you richly. The, the word of God dwelling as the master of the house 
deep at the core of who you are as a person. That's the individual piece. And then corporately, you know, we're teaching, we're admonishing, we're worshiping together. And we have thankfulness. And then verse 17, whatever you do, word, deed, whatever it is, do it in the name of Jesus. Let the thrust of your whole existence be rendered unto God. And what? Give thanks. Three times here he says, uh, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And so and Paul's been saying this all along, right? The word of God has to be at the center of your relationship with him. The Bible. Uh, to identify with Christ, to think rightly about Christ, is to be blessed. Um, behold what God has done and do so regularly. Um, have, you know, work up gratitude as you think about his infinite love. As you think about the new heavens and the new earth and the glory that he'll share with you. If you think about the cross and his self-denying sacrifice. Think about the, all the treasures of wisdom, the guidance that he gives you. Yet he's meek and he's patient. Think about the compassion that he has shown you. He bears with you and he forgives you. And all the blessings of God are given to you in this good news from heaven. That we would be like uh, Peter saying, you know, where else shall we go? Only you, Jesus, have words of eternal life. Well, I hope that this, is, this has brought some light onto the, the false doctrine, but you can see in extremes, you're probably not in danger of it. You probably don't have Jewish mystics in your midst. But in the subtle ways, this is part of the basic sinful nature in all of us that could be, you know perpetuated by world systems, perpetuated by demons, you know, whispered into the ears of mankind. And, and Paul says, you're free from that. You've been liberated by the cross, so identify with Jesus. And you need to discipline yourself into thinking right by reading the word, letting the word dwell in you. Let, let your, as you surrender uh, control Christ's peace will rule in your heart and make your whole existence about Jesus. Let's pray. God our Father, be magnified in our lives. Be exalted in the church. Be glorified in all the earth. And I want to pray now for our nation. Uh, I pray that you will bring understanding that the word of God, that the peace of God, that, that Christians will rise up with wisdom, with clarity, that they will speak truth, they'll do so in love. God, forgive us our sins and help us to not invalidate ourselves with indulgences. Um, uh, but we know, God, that you know all of our sin. And we entrust it all to you in, in the mess of our lives and the confusion. Be to us the light. Have the word. Be the lamp unto our feet. And I pray that you will bring great things from the pandemic and great things from our social unrest. I pray that you will bring justice and truth and beauty and a year of jubilee. That you will bring relief to those who have been suffering injustice. God, I pray for this church in Culpeper that you'll grow them. And, and they will exhibit the things that, that Paul is calling us to here in this book, among others.
Um, so God, please, uh, again, be more part of our lives. Um, be, be more preeminent in the church. And please glorify the name of Jesus in all the earth. Amen.